Welcome back to the fifth episode of Adopted, a podcast made by Asian adoptees for Asian adoptees. We're joined today by our special guests, Matt and Julia. Hi, everyone. My name is Julia. I am, my Chinese name is Xiao Cho, which means Little Autumn. I'm 23 years old and was adopted at 14 months uh, from Jiangmen, in the southern region of China, year of 1998. I have one sister who is four years younger than me, who was also adopted from China, but in Anhui province. I currently live in San Antonio, Texas, and I'm a stylist at Stitch Fix. Hey guys, uh, I'm Matt. I'm 28 years old. I'm adopted from South Korea. I was adopted when I was five months old, uh, currently living in Philadelphia, and I'm an executive sous chef for a restaurant group there. Awesome. Um, so today we're going to be discussing food. So the question we're going to open up today with is, who introduced you to Chinese or Korean food? As I grew up all my life, uh, my family did their best to incorporate Chinese culture into our lives. Um, we celebrated Chinese New Year every year um, and would go to our favorite Chinese restaurant and often would what most Americans do and do Chinese takeout. Um, it definitely laid the seed for the flavors that um, you really can't find in any other king. I feel like I'm the same way as Julia. My parents, you know, growing up in a small suburb outside Philly, it wasn't a whole lot of Chinese influence in my area, but they definitely did their best. We got delivery and, you know, they took us into the city to try to get those experiences as best they could. So that was kind of my exposure to it growing up. Did you say Philly? Yeah, I think... A couple of us I are grew from up in Philly all... too. <laughs> that is so cool. Hey, Philly in the house. What up? <laughs> right. Well, there's like, like three out of best... four people in Philly, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Around Philly. <laughs> it's one of um, hey. the best Chinese, like little towns, I guess they're called, um, that I've ever been to. Yeah, the Chinatown in Philly is great. It's so great. Oh my gosh. I used to take my friends into it and we just run around just eating food. You, have you you guys ever been to Sankey? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's been yeah. a while, but when I was younger, yeah. That's where my family would always take us every single Chinese. Oh, my God. That's amazing. But yeah. Yeah. And celebrating Lunar New Year's in Philly is a lot of fun, too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Guys, we could have crossed paths and not even known. That's so wild. <laughs> Wait, how long ago were you guys in Philly? Uh, I grew up out like basically right outside the city um, since I was, I guess, five months and came to America. Um, mm. Yeah. How about you, Matt? Uh, so I was, uh, I was raised in North Jersey. Um, mm. And then I moved to Philly in 2011 and I've been here ever since. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was still, I was still back home, you know, consistently at that point. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. How about you, Matt? What was your introduction to, uh, I guess, Korean food for you? Chinese too. So I have an older brother adopted from Korea. Um, and I also have a younger sister adopted from China. Um, so like where I grew up, there, there wasn't like a huge Korean population around me. Um, mm-hmm. The closest town would probably, it, it was like Fort Lee and like Palisade Park, um, mm-hmm. which was super close to New York City. It's right across the river. Um, so like there was really no point in doing that. So if I ever really wanted to get Korean food, I would have to go. I would just go into New York City. Um, but like initially, I guess the first introduction that I really had to Korean food was in fourth grade. I became really good friends with this kid. His name's Ryan Kim, and his mom would she would make us mandu every now and again, um, just like as like a little after school snack type thing. 
Um, don't really remember much of it, uh, but like it was always offered to me um, as in most like traditional Asian households, like food is always a big thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so like I didn't really have any experience like in my immediate family other than obviously Chinese takeout, like everyone else has said. But um, mm-hmm. like once I got out of this, once I got out of uh, the town that I grew up and came to Philly, I started exploring um, more of the Asian cuisine scene. Like there's a, there's a couple places in Philly, but the, um, the Korean food boom in Philadelphia kind of really happened in the last two, three years, mm-hmm. um, which has been really fun to watch. That's awesome that you get to be there, like a part of that, you know, transition and experience. Yeah, I was actually like, like right in it too. Like um, I was the executive chef of like a Korean American fusion gastropub type place. Um, so I really oh, got to, so cool. yeah, so I got to incorporate like, so my, um, my formal background uh, training is mainly uh, Mediterranean and Italian and French cuisine. Um, mm-hmm. So I was able to incorporate my knowledge with, of those foods and those types of cuisines and techniques and use that and incorporate Korean flavors and ingredients to that. So it was, that, was a really, that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So was cooking a big thing in your family when you were growing up? Was that what inspired you to become a chef? Yeah, so like I was, um, so I wanted to be a chef since I was nine, and my 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 family was really into cooking. Like it was one of like I was raised in a family where dinner was very important. We would wait until everyone would come home. So like I have a pretty sizable family. It's there's uh, six of us together, including myself. Um, So before my siblings left for college and stuff, uh, when everyone was home dinner was always like super important. So my mom would cook, but she would have us wait until everyone came home to eat. Um, and then like for holidays and stuff, uh, <clears throat> my grandma would come over super early and help my mom cook. Um, and I kind of like tried to get myself in there. So first they would let me like, kill vegetables and clean them. And then I started to be able, like they started letting me use knives and then they started letting me use the fire. Um, and it just really got me to understand how food works in the sense that it really brings people together which is kind of why I wanted to be a chef oh that's so nice so you mentioned that you tried to incorporate um like Korean flavors into your cooking are there particular flavors that you really enjoy yeah um so I mean most of uh Korean food um it's a lot of like the same ingredients it's just like obviously portions uh change the flavor and the way you're preparing it but Um, I mean, just like the thought of making like a very traditional crudo dish um, using sesame oil and ponzu juice was it was it was a lot of fun figuring out how to incorporate those flavors. So I really love the taste. Like obviously, sesame oil is one of my go-to's. Um, I put that on a lot of things that shouldn't have sesame oil on it. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean. Gochujang and Tanjang, like all these interesting flavors. Kimchi goes in almost everything that I eat that makes sense. Um, <laughs> Do you make your own kimchi? I used to not make my own kimchi. Um, so the restaurant that I worked at, the owner's mom actually made all the kimchi for the restaurant. And we would, so we would get like buckets and buckets of kimchi mm-hmm. that she would make like every two weeks. Um, but she actually, we had a the philadelphia inquirer came in and did an article when the the olympics were happening in korea and they were doing kind of like a spotlight on korean food 
Um, mm. And we were asked to be a part of that. So we did a little segment on how to make, properly make um, very traditional, like straight out of Korea kimchi. That's um, so cool. Yeah. So I got to learn that. I had a little bit of a, like, I guess like a little small class before we actually mm. did the, uh, the interview and stuff. And I took that um, and developed my own recipe, um, which I've, I haven't made it in a while, but I have, I have made my own kimchi before. Would you be comfortable with us sharing your recipe later on? Yeah, I can actually, I think I might have it typed up on my laptop. I can email it to you. Okay, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. You know, for, for science and everything. Yeah, of course, you know? of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, it only takes, it only takes a week, so. But kimchi, I feel like that's not bad. That's not nah. bad. <clears throat> yeah, like. Like the entire process of actually like making it with the ingredients and stuff that takes about three days just because you have to brine everything then mix mm-hmm. it all together and get it all so where you want it to be but then the actual like fermenting process takes an extra couple of days like it, it started to really get the kimchi flavor um, that you're looking for um, after about four days but i let it rock out for like an extra week after that it turned out pretty good i was, I was happy with myself might I add, this whole episode is making me super hungry. I'm just putting it there. <laughs> I'm always hungry. Julia, how about you? How do you, um, like, what got you started into your cooking and exploring, you know, this kind of cuisine? As a kid, I always played around in the kitchen. Um, like you, Matt, my family was really big on dinner and kind of making it. Be, I used to think it was different because all of my friends would, all their different activities and, um, my parents really held dinner time to be kind of sacred. So it was like every night around 6.30 p.m. We would sit down, um, you know, just get together for that, like just the few moments um, in our days. And as I've gotten older, it's become so much more meaningful to me than I thought it would be. Um, and I hope to carry that on. I have a family. Um, while my parents would cook, I would kind of, as a kid, make concoctions. They'd give me like a little bit of they were working with and I'd not usually over like any sort of flame or anything but kind of mix it together um and then honestly when college came around um that is when you're kind of first on your own and um figuring out how you're gonna feed yourself and a lot of my friends turned to you know the stuff that you pop in the microwave and whatnot and I was just not satisfied with that at all Um, And so I just really started wanting to get into cooking even more. Um, I'd oftentimes when I was home, I would like flood my parents' kitchen with like baking sheets everywhere. I think like the pinnacle moment for when I dove into, I mean, I always love eating Asian food. My friend in college, her mom, she's Chinese American and, um, mom is Chinese and she came to visit and I went over to my friend's place and mom taught me how to make scallion pancakes which is something that I have always loved to get eating out um but just like watching her go through the whole process I have been hooked and during this whole quarantine thing I think I've made them three or four times I'm still not tired of them um <laughs> and I think like that's when I was like wow like this is the flavor that I'm always craving um, just it's so different, so much more flavor than I feel like something about Asian food just like really feels like home. I think from there and after graduating college, I'm like always cooking Asian flavors and 
cooking up recipes or like honestly nowadays I'm just like whipping together stuff and making like really good sauce that I don't even I should probably start writing them down um but now that I'm out of college I've really like able to harness my creativity and just like in the kitchen without you know being in a super small cramped kitchen <laughs> in my college yeah. like dorm and uh, and stuff like that so I definitely get what you mean about like there's something about eating Asian food, at least for me, that also it just feels I don't know. I I feel better. I feel more grounded. Sometimes I'll, you know, just have bad anxiety and I don't want to eat anything. I'm hungry, but nothing seems to, you know, make me feel like, okay, that's something I want to eat. But then like my mom will be like, do you want to get like delivery? Instantly, it's always like, can we just get rice? Or like, can we get, you know, just for some reason that just grounds me back. And I feel like right when I'm eating the those kinds of foods. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I, I totally I the agree. One. My friends always like for breakfast, I mean, and an American thing is like sugary cereal and all that. And I have never been like a big milk person. And I also really like warm breakfast and so mm. um I started doing that a little bit older and my dad would cook me these really good like eggs in the morning but um I just never hopped on like the cereal bandwagon and the first time I had congee which is like the rice porridge I was like this is what I should be eating every single morning it was <laughs> I could never get tired of it it's just I don't know it's like no wonder cereal you know like sugary cereal never clicked like Mm -hmm. like savory and the umami and just yeah it just feels really good you know absolutely do all of you guys have rice cookers at home oh yeah absolutely okay. <laughs> I use a pot i just use a pot in water and, and yeah i use, uh, the, use the ratios. but gotcha. my roommates um they had a really nice rice cooker and so I, it actually saved so it saved so much time. But I'm trying to convince my parents at home to get one, but they're they're just they don't eat enough Should rice. Probably to make get one. Yeah. I bought mine on also, Amazon. My mom has this bucks. thing where she likes to undercook rice, and so it's still what? crunchy inside. And it, I don't know, I don't know why she likes it so much. <laughs> but it kind of like inside, it just hurts my soul sometimes. Uh, <laughs> the only time I like my rice crunchy is when you put it. Matt, I'm to I don't know the name of it, but you probably don't know what I'm talking about. When you have that bowl and it's on like the the stone and it gets hot and it's like yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, I don't know the official name. <laughs> yeah, the toolset. That's the time that I want like crunchy rice, and that is probably the only time that I want crunchy rice. It's like <laughs> the crispy rice. It's like Yeah, because yeah, that's not even that's not even crunchy. It's like crispy because it's so hot and it just like sears it off. Yeah. Oh, have you guys gone to uh, traditional Korean restaurants that where you get you'll get the um the tosa and then let it burn pretty much and then they pour tea on top of it? I haven't had that. Oh, that sounds amazing! Oh, that is so good. So I was up in um Fort Lee visiting a friend of mine. We went out for lunch. So we got we got a stone pot rice dish, and the uh, the server came over after she's like we spooned it all out and there were like the crispy bits on the bottom and she poured the tea over it and then she ladled it into a bowl for us and um i had never had it before my my buddy was like yeah just drink it you'll love it and it's just tea and crunchy rice and it's so good sounds fire right? yeah, i'm like drooling right now honestly <laughs> i should have i should have 
prepped like food for the second we finish this. <laughs> Maya, what's your level of um, connection to food and culture and stuff? Honestly, it's quite little, to be honest. Growing up, I didn't get much exposure to Chinese food and definitely not um, authentic Chinese food. So my mom would, um, on my gotcha day and on Chinese New Year, she'd sometimes order in uh, Chinese food. But apart from that, that was basically it. Um, but when I went to high school, uh, I made some friends with Vietnamese people. And so I learned a little bit about their culture. Um, and then I'm slowly trying to learn more about mine uh, mm-hmm. since I've entered university. But it's an ongoing process. But yeah. Not too late to start. That's true. Well, I'm also, I think, quite a bit younger than you guys. So I'm just okay. a baby here. <laughs> I know our baby. <laughs> I am baby. So I know you guys have mentioned um, a lot of things that you really like about your um, culture's food, but are there any things that you maybe don't enjoy or you're not too into? I don't know if it's not something that I I personally don't enjoy, but I know a lot of a lot of folks um, who haven't tried Korean food are very wary about it because like a lot of Korean food is fermented, mm. so um, you you get a very distinct smell to certain things, but um. It's like, I don't know, I mean, I I personally love the smell of all the food, but I know a lot of folks that are just like, yeah, it just doesn't smell appealing to me. And just like, just, just take a bite of it. <laughs> totally. So I think there's this like stigma where it's just like a lot of, a lot of folks think that it's, since it smells and it's fermented, it's not going to taste great or it's like considered old or whatever. But mm-hmm. when you really look into the past of like where, Korean food developed it's like this is kind of what they had to do to keep food for as long as they could mm-hmm. so like there's a history behind the food it's just like people just kind of push that aside so I mean that's really the only thing that I don't necessarily enjoy that's fair I think if there's anything that I don't like about it it's more so sort of what you're talking about Matt um how society kind of eats food in other cultures so I have to admit that, like, I feel like I'm a pretty adventurous eater. Um, but there are some things that definitely make me squeamish, per se. That's, like, totally natural and normal in other cultures. Um, but because I feel like America does make things sound weird um, or because it's not, like, incorporated in American culture, like, cuisine and culture, it, like... Like street food, um, it looks delicious, but I feel like I would definitely be hesitant to, um, I mean, I watch so many YouTube videos of people walking through um, China and Tokyo, um, going through like street vendors and some things like look delicious, but then they're like, oh, it's some sort of like squid ball something or like a bug. I'm sure it's delicious, but like for some reason, I feel like, you know, just in America, my first reaction is like, ew, but I know it's probably so good. <laughs> I can kind of relate to that because um, I know that takoyaki, I won't eat it because I won't eat octopus. And I don't, part of it's like um ethical thing, but also part of it's also just like I wasn't exposed to that growing up. Mm-hmm. So I can definitely understand your perspective. I know the first time I had chicken feet, I was like, I'm going to eat. Feet? Like yeah, because it it looks like chicken feet, 
And so the first time I ever, like, like some things you look at and you're like, exactly. Like you're like, oh, that could be anything. But like you look at chicken feet and like, yeah, that's what I'm about to eat. It is my, one of my favorite things now to eat. Oh my gosh. Like I crave it. But I remember that first time I was just like, hmm, what? Totally. Exactly what I mean. I would try it. I don't know. I think part of it is like, at least the way that I like to eat it the most, um, if you like the skin on chicken, like when you have fried chicken or something, like it's got like mm-hmm. that flavor that you know what I mean. I don't know. They're just I'm trying to like in words articulate <laughs> why. Yeah, it's just so good, and it's like it's just a different part, but it's delicious. That was not articulate at all, but that's what I got. For you I totally guys. know what you mean, though. <laughs> I should try and force myself to cook it then one day because mm-hmm. I, I I always see like the raw chicken feet in the grocery store because I, I live in an Asian area now mm-hmm. and so there's a lot oh. of good Asian grocery stores Ooh, um yeah. but yeah whenever I see it in the meat section I kind of like turn my nose up which is really bad which is probably <laughs> just because I didn't grow up with it mm-hmm. and it it's true yeah. it's, it looks exactly as it sounds totally. yeah and no, you've never had chicken like, feet before no, I have not. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you ever have chicken feet, make sure you clip off the toenails first. Yes. <laughs> Boy. Don't try to eat around the bone. Just eat them and then spit them out too. The, the big tip. But don't use your hands though, because I got yelled at by uh, yeah, one, no. of my, one of my Chinese friends for using my hands <laughs> to take a, a bone out of my mouth. And she's like, what the hell are you doing? No. You just spit it out politely. Nothing to see here. And now I want chicken feet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could go for some too right now. That brings up a good point, though, how table manners are different. Yeah, there's so many nuances. I don't want to offend people. And then, you know, we all look like, you know, we were grown up in the culture and we should know. So I feel like an extra pressure when I go places and like I don't fully know the nuances of like that specific thing. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're really going to they're just going to think I'm rude. They're not even going to think, oh, she like doesn't know or she never learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've experienced that before. One of my friends yelled at me. For, uh, we got dim some one day, and I got yelled at for taking two soup dumplings. Oh, I, I wasn't aware that <laughs> it's one at a time, and if there's extra, we have to ask. I mean, I guess it's more of a politeness thing than a cultural mm-hmm. thing. But whoops! Yeah. No, that's a big faux pas. But again, how would you know if it's the first time you've done that? Well, I feel like it's kind of like a you live and you learn kind of a thing. Yeah, it's not you know anyone's fault for. Proper etiquette, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but now I see all these like gifts and memes, and it's like, like, uh, like you're supposed to <clears throat> offer the table the last bite, and like mm-hmm. people will take half of it, and then take half of that, and leave the half, and then take half of that, and leave that part. Oh yeah. <laughs> so different from American culture. Yeah. Exactly. Or just like you have to fight for. <laughs> yeah, I feel like American culture is here's the bowl. Everyone take what you think is about like your portion wise and if you can like sneak in a little bit more do it because you know everyone else is going to eat it (laughs) so how has food influenced the way you experience your culture i feel like it's pretty much one of the only ways actually that i feel like i'm connecting myself to my culture i feel like it's powerful um because being so personal um, especially when it's someone's recipe that's been passed down in their family. Um, and 
think that that's what makes it all the more special for me because I feel like since I'm not um, yes, super active in maybe learning um, the language and stuff like that, this is kind of my way to connected in like I'm almost doing like due diligence of being a Chinese American. I don't know. It's it's definitely one of the easiest ways to learn about a culture too. Mm-hmm. It's like you can you can learn about a culture through food without having to like like you were saying like you don't have to learn a language you don't have to interact. It's pretty much you're just like learning about a culture from food. And like I was saying it before, um, you learn about like Korean food. You learn why certain things are this way. Why fermentation is so big, um, and it goes back to the Korean War where you really had to do everything you could to make food last as long as possible so it 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 super tangible yeah i know as they say like food dishes they have a history they have a story and like no the like you said matt the easiest way and the most fun way just eating food and learning about that and getting that connection so would you guys say that you integrate traditional dishes into your everyday diet I wouldn't necessarily say I integrate it every day, but I do order a lot of Korean takeout. Oh, yeah. Especially during quarantine. I think I've ordered from uh, my friend's Korean restaurant. I'm pretty sure I've ordered from him since quarantine started. I've ordered like eight times from him. I do it as much as I can. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's expensive too, but I mean, I, I, I need it. <laughs> You're playing your part in, you know, the economy and supporting local businesses. Hell yeah. I'm also conserving water so I don't have to do dishes. Exactly. You know what? We especially have to support the Asian businesses who are suffering from not only the shutdown, but also, you know, racism. (laughs) I feel like for me, I'm definitely like the definition of an amateur cook. Like I I try and I can understand and, you know, you know, follow recipe, you know, pretty well. Um, But I know I don't really experiment a whole lot. Um, I actually, this sounds so lame, but I started doing one of those, um, delivery services a couple weeks before this whole quarantine started. Um, and it has like things like that. So I'm learning. I always pick like the Vietnamese pork bowls or the Chinese, whatever, when I can. Um, so that's kind of how I'm like, I'll find from that dish. Oh, like this sauce that uses these flavors. Let me do that but like with this other dish that i like to make on the regular let me just make some rice and i'll Mm. mayonnaise chicken in that Mm. that's kind of like how i'm one learning a little bit more about you know those flavors more than you know from just eating from other people just to cook with them and then also like getting those into the things that i eat every day but in an easy way it's definitely like my my vibe also i just eat rice constantly so i you know (laughs) so good you can do so much with it right Do you guys have like a go-to dish that you make when you're, you know, in a certain mood or just when you're, you know, you know that you can pull out of your back pocket super easy? Uh, for me, what I really like is um, braised pork belly Ooh. with some rice because it's pretty simple to me. Unfortunately, it's also very unhealthy because pork belly is pretty fatty. So it's not something you should be eating too often, but it is, it's still pretty it's good. Favorite. Yeah. I also really like um, like this ginger beef recipe that one of my Chinese friends um, taught me how to make. Mm-hmm. But the only thing is you have, you have to like marinate the uh, beef, but it doesn't. It's not too complicated. So 
maybe I'll share the recipe with you guys too. Please. Yes, please. Yeah, send it our way. I want to try that out. I want all the recipes, please. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just do like a recipe thread. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty basic when it comes to like like go to foods. Like I don't really like I'll be honest, I don't really cook that often when I'm at home. Um, just because go working twelve, fourteen hour days, five, six days a week. The last thing I really want to do is come home right. and cook more. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> dishes too. Yeah, exactly. So like if anything, like I I do love to make a like a thing of rice and then just fry up some eggs, throw some kimchi in there and some sesame Ooh. oil. Yeah, it's just like um, super comforting. <clears throat> like I know a lot of like my Korean friends, um, they're like they grew up on that stuff. Like that was their go-to comfort food as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's just super life. simple and super delicious. Yeah, I have a go-to dish when I cook for people that I'm on a date with. Do tell. <laughs> um, so I developed my own um tteokbokki recipe. Um, so I have a I actually have some in my freezer right now. Um, so I take uh, dried anchovies and then take the bone out and the head off. Um, some dried seaweed or kombu and then um, ginger, scallions, onions, and then make a uh, like a seafood broth with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just it's super easy once you make the uh, the actual broth. It's just you cook down some uh, you cook down some rice cakes with the the broth add some onions some scallions i love and then it's kochujang kochuyaru um sesame oil a little sugar and a little soy sauce and you let it cook down put some mozzarella cheese on it and oh sounds so good and fish cakes too don't forget the fish cakes last time i forgot that cakes that sounds amazing really into um we did this a couple times last week about making my own noodles um, so I've been playing with kind of like sauces and vegetables to add and proteins. Um, it's actually a lot easier than you would think and um, tastes so much better than like boxed noodles. Um, it's definitely my two these days. Do you have any beginner friendly recipes you guys would recommend to people just starting out cooking? You can make a super easy um, kimchi pajan. Um, it's pretty much just flour, um, well, it's equal parts rice flour and like just regular AP flour, um, onions, scallions, kimchi liquid, chopped up kimchi. I usually put a little dashi flake in there to give it a little flavor to it, more of like the umami. Um, and you just, so good. <laughs> right. and you just put a little sesame oil in there, some water, you turn it into a batter and you just fry it up. I'm so it's a hungry. lot. It's a <laughs> lot easier to do than making scallion pancakes because you're making That's a batter really instead of a. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you got to do the dough, right? You make it with the dough. Yes, yeah, yeah. But obviously, like like uh, bibimbap is super easy to make too. Mm. Um, because like bibimbap uh, like originated. Uh, so it's like it's a meal you make before New Year's, like actual New Year's. Um. And essentially what you do is you take all the vegetables and proteins that you have in your refrigerator and cook it down and then put it over rice and then make a super simple gochujang sauce. Um, And the reason why Koreans started doing this was because they figured um, start the new year fresh. So you start out with like fresh food um, Mm -hmm. and get rid of all the foods that were in your fridge from the last year. Mm -hmm. And then you get rid of all those and then 
um, you pretty much start fresh. So it's like your last end of the year meal. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think it's awesome that you know, like the origins of all the, the things too. I just, I guess I always knew that there had to be for every culture, you know, like a reason why this was what was used or done, but I just, I don't know. I think it's really awesome that like you took the time to like learn about that and add that into your experience with it. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I first started, so I, the reason why I took the job as the executive chef, so I had, I had never been in an executive chef before that job. Um, I'd only been at most like a sous chef. Um, so I took that job. I really wanted to learn about my culture and like for me, but like food was always the way to do that. Um, so I did a lot of research on recipes and stuff and I figured I should do a little bit more and learn why certain dishes are eaten at certain times. Like why is, why is Tokka eaten on <clears throat> Lunar New Year? Like the origins of things and why traditions are traditions and how they started. Um, and I felt like with that information, that knowledge, I would be able to understand and start incorporating that into dishes that I create myself. Cool. Yeah. And there are also a lot of like, <clears throat> there are also a lot of uh, websites that are very user friendly for amateur cooks and home cooks and beginners. There's this uh, really, really popular Korean lady. Her name is Meng Chi. And she has a book out. She travels a lot and does like appearances. Uh, she has a website with videos. She has a YouTube channel. Um, and she just teaches you how to do traditional Korean dishes, but at a home cook level, um, really dives in and explains um, all these different recipes. And like, I have a bunch of Korean recipe books that I use. I have a, my friend actually got me a comic book with Korean cooking. So it's like, what? it'll teach you how to make That's the, so cool. <clears throat> yeah. So it's basically a recipe book, but in a form of a comic book. That is exactly the format I need. That's cool. Yeah, so if you're interested, it's called Cook Korean by Robin Ha. Do you have some resources that you'd recommend to adoptees trying to learn how to cook their traditional dishes? Uh, there are a couple of Facebook groups. Um, I know that there's a, an adoptee-specific uh, cooking group um, whose name is actually slipping my mind right now. I can actually look it up. Let me see what it is. Wait, I would totally want to be in that group. <laughs> Mm -hmm. So the group is called um, Korean Food Dining Out and Home Cooking by and for Korean Adoption. It's a little bit of a mouthful. Not quite the demographic, but... I wonder if there's a similar piece for Chinese adoptees. I should look into that. Or you can start your own. True. So yeah, a lot of people post, like, videos. They post, like, stuff that they're cooking. Um, obviously, there's memes involved. Um, of course yeah you have to but uh yeah it's just it's it's a cool way to see like what other adoptees are actually cooking and recipes that they shared and videos and stuff mm -hmm. i'm a big youtube person um, and i found a page called marion's kitchen and she actually has a website and she um is australian and thai and she makes these really cool fusion dishes and she simplifies them. Um, like you were saying, Matt, where um, making it accessible for doing it at home. And I've tried a lot of her recipes and they are so good, super easy to follow with. Um, and so I think like 
are a ton of two pages and websites for people who are kind of like dumbing recipes down and making it able so one can do it from wherever they are. You don't have to have these crazy ingredients too. I feel like they help you work with what you have. Yeah. There's another um, Korean website. It's called My Korean Kitchen. She's a cook and author and like a photographer. I think her name's Sue. Um, but she started this website. It's um, it's sort of bloggy, but also has recipes in there. She has uh, she also has a book that you can buy, and it ranges like there. There's some super easy recipes, but then it goes into the more in depth recipes, um, and it's all categorized. Like they have a whole punch on segment. There's like a whole thing on Korean barbecue, uh, and then just like traditional dishes. They even have Dalgona coffee recipe. <laughs> of course finally did any of you try to make that yeah i did um it was super good it was so strong i'm not much of a caffeine drinker i'm more of a tea person um but it just looked amazing and so fun and you know what am i doing right now um (laughs) i get and it was so good though oh my gosh i was bouncing off the walls but amazing (laughs) oh yeah they they're strong i had i I made the uh, unfortunate decision of having two in one day oh um and I'm like, I'm a huge caffeine drinker um, just because of like the workload I have. So um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but before quarantine, when the restaurants were actually open, I was drinking about six shots of espresso a day. Your poor heart. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, but like, it would like, it would be like one of those things that would be like eight o'clock and I'm like, all right, it's my eight o'clock uh, espresso time. I would not be able to sleep after that. <laughs> yeah. Somehow I was able to pass out as soon as I got home and be able to wake up the next day. But the the Dalgona coffees, I, yeah, I had two of those and I was wired. Oh, wow. But apparently you can also make them with uh, like instant matcha powder too. Ooh, yeah. I think it would be the same concept as well. Makes sense. I know I saw a recipe for Thai tea and, you know, your girl loves Thai tea. So I'm going to have to try that out sometime. Mm-hmm. I love Thai tea. That's like Thai tea is my go-to bubble tea whenever I oh, get it. Yeah. Oh. It's so good. Have any of you guys tried to make bubble tea at home? No. <laughs> it's super sugary. It's definitely like a treat that I do um, not super often because that's like I definitely – stomach after is like wow that was a lot of sugar but it's definitely a nice oh, you don't get half tea you don't get half sugars or third I've sugars learned that you can do it i do almost like no sugar because it's just like it, it it's like it's a little bit too much yeah 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 some of the some of the flavors are better yeah i think i go full send every time because you know <laughs> you only live once as the kids say okay <laughs> What are your go-to uh, bubble tea drinks? I definitely I switch it up. Like I'm, I'm so not picky with food that I'm just indecisive all the time because I want to eat everything. Um, some days, if I'm like hungry, also thirsty, I'll get this red bean matcha that this place near me does because mm-hmm. I love red bean. Um, if I'm feeling like classic, there's this. Um, it's called Three Q. It has the the boba, it has herb jelly, and it has pudding in it. That one's really good. Um, and then Thai tea is just when I'm like, absolutely cannot decide, you know what, this is, this is the comfort one that I go back on. Never fails me. Have yeah. you tried the, uh, the brulee brown sugar tiger tea one yet? Ooh, I feel like I've had a version of that, but 
Maybe See, if not. you don't like sweet, don't don't ever get that. <laughs> There's a ton okay. of sugar in there. There's a ton of sugar. I think I got a hangover because much sugar. Oh <laughs> what about you, Maya? What's your go-to bubble tea order? Depending on my mood, it's usually uh, taro. I really like taro. Um, and it's also really nice because you can get like zero percent sugar, and it's still kind of sweet because taro's got like a natural sweet flavor. That's true. So I like that. Um, but I, I don't know if you guys have like cocoa and like cha time. I love cocoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, at cocoa, there's the three guys. So it's like the yeah. ass jelly pudding, and yeah, it's the same kind of deal. It's really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's also um, this one thing called the like, cute mango juice. And has like um, oh, yeah, I love mango. Yeah, it's really good. I don't really get any of the uh, fruit ones. I don't think I've ever actually had one. Like I've tried them, like when friends get them, but mm. I'm always the coffee or tea flavored ones. Mm. If I get the fruit, I'll get it with the lychee jelly in it. Yeah. Mm. Um. So before we wrap up this episode, do you guys have any final thoughts that you want to add? This is really special. Um, it's just it's one of the platforms that I've been finding recently. Um, honestly, during quarantine, it's given me the time and mental space to kind of dive in and make connections with um, Americans that I haven't really had before. So I think that this is awesome, and I'm super happy to be a part of it. We're really glad that you decided to join us. Yeah, I think the, I think the biggest thing for me. I mean, I guess I, I guess it sounds a little biased just because I'm a chef by profession, but <clears throat> like for anyone who's interested in like learning about Asian cuisine or anything like that, like I think the biggest thing for most people to not want to is like some of the recipes can look and sound very intimidating, um, <clears throat> just because there can be a lot of um, steps that you need to take and like some of the dishes require a very specific way of creating it or else the flavors are going to be completely off. But like, like, I guess uh, the biggest thing for me to say is like, just I, I like don't be intimidated by recipes. Um, like if you start on an easy level and work your way up, like, you know, it's, it's very rewarding in the sense that you get to learn about where you came from and what, what the food is like. Um, in that country like go out to different restaurants or like now that it's quarantine like order out from very traditional Chinese restaurants and get some try different types of Chinese foods like get the Sichuan uh, dim sum get Kanto dim sum like try all these different types of things and like there's regional Korean dishes as well try those as well and then try and recreate it find a recipe and recreate it um, and get back to that. Like that was kind of the the way I went about doing that. I went out. It sounds it sounds terrible, but I went out to eat before I took that job. I went to about five different Korean restaurants. Um, it was really tough to eat all that food, but um, yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. Like I said, it's very rewarding, especially to eat the food of your own culture, um, especially like because you didn't really grow up with the capabilities or without it being a presence on an everyday level. I love that. Thanks, both of you guys. Thanks for having us. Let's get that group chat started so we can exchange recipes. Yeah, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Everyone add me on Facebook. It's Matt Delator. <laughs> totally. So thank you, Matt and Julia, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners. 
Uh, tune in next week for our sixth episode, which will be the first part of the four-part series talking about racism and our experiences with racism as children, adults during um, COVID-19. And also the fourth one will be methods of dealing with racism. If you're interested in participating in one of these episodes, you can email us at adoptedpodcast.gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram. See you guys next week. (laughs)